It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. That was good, Fred. You sounded like an airline pilot. Oh, Recorded live. A-U-N, American Underground Network. The primary reason why the individual citizens of a country create a political structure is a subconscious wish or desire to perpetuate their own dependency relationship of childhood. Simply put, they want a human God to eliminate all risk from their life, pat them on the head, kiss their bruises, put a chicken on every dinner table, clothe their bodies, tuck them into bed at night, and tell them that everything will be all right when they wake up in the morning. This public demand is incredible, so the human God, the politician, meets incredibility with incredibility by promising the world and delivering nothing. So who is the bigger liar? The public or the godfather? All revolutions have been led by young people. If you just think of the TV images of whether it's Tiananmen Square or whether it's the uh, revolts in Central America or Europe, the young people, the college people who are more principled and not locked in and they're not embedded with the government, they are the ones who are concerned about where the future because the future is theirs. My research has shown at this point that the future laid out for us may be just about impossible to change. I do not agree with the means by which the powerful few have chosen for us to reach the end. I do not agree that the end is where we should end at all. But unless we can wake the people from their sleep, nothing short of civil war will stop the planned outcome. It's the National Collective Consciousness Show with Dee Dee Farrell in Portland, Oregon, Jim Condit Jr. in Cincinnati, Ohio, Steve Harris in Charlotte, North Carolina. Now, live from Evanston, Illinois, your host, Fred Smart. Hey, thanks everyone. We're having a little bit of technical difficulty, but I hope you uh, hear me and uh, our guest today again, Sam Sewell. Uh, we're going to continue the conversation from last week, exploring in further detail the connection between physics and consciousness. Sam is going to be repeating a few things from last week, but uh, if you weren't on last week's call, uh, Sam presented um, a topic uh, that sort of introduced us to the idea of metaphysical spiritual consciousness, and he's going to explore this in more depth, including the theology and the physics behind this. Uh, Sam and his wife, Bunny, run a a coaching and consulting practice. They're both pastoral psychotherapists. Uh, Sam has been the youth leader coordinator for his local Mensa uh, practice group there in Florida. And uh, we're so pleased to have him back on the call. You know, this 
idea uh, that the mind can affect reality, can actually create uh, and have an impact on reality, on physical reality and spiritual reality in, in, a, in, a, in a positively uh, connected fashion that's ordered and that's logical and that's rational is really quite uh, just amazing. And, uh, you know, Sam is at the forefront uh, not dealing with, uh, you know, out there fairy tale type stuff. These are uh, rational, logical, measured scientific principles that have been studied and have been well documented over the years. And he's been on top of this uh, for, for many, many years. Sam, thanks for coming back on and helping us explore this uh, connection between physics and consciousness in more detail. Thanks again. Yeah, my pleasure, Fred. So take us back to a little bit of what you were going to repeat from last week's show so you can bring our listeners up, up to speed here. So they didn't, even if they weren't on the call last week, they can uh, make, make the transition to understanding more of what you have to share tonight. Right. Well, the first thing I'd like to get in place, Fred, is that a lot of people can hear people like Dee Dee and you and me and others talk about this, and they think that we're just a little bit squirrely. And so mm-hmm. what I want to do is quote a professor of physics and astronomy at John Hopkins University. This is a direct quotation. A fundamental conclusion of the new physics also acknowledges that the observer creates the reality. As observers, we are personally involved with the creation of our own reality. Physicists are being forced to admit that the universe is a mental construction. Pioneering physicist Sir James Jeans wrote, The stream of knowledge is heading toward a non-mechanical reality. The universe begins to look more like a great idea, a great thought, than a great machine. Mind no longer appears to be an accidental intruder into the realm of matter. We ought rather hail it as the creator and governor of the realm of matter. The universe is immaterial, mental, and spiritual. Now, I don't know how a physicist, R.C. Henry at, at John Hopkins, could say something that obviously in line with what Dee Dee and Fred and Sam think, and they actually think we're weird. We're now, not now, weird. Now, now, wait a minute. When did, when did this gentleman uh, state this? Uh, how far back? Oh, James Jeans would have been... 15, 20 years ago, and R.C. Henry would have been in the last five years. Okay. And it's like ever since back in the 1930s. People don't realize that. Um, But what this starts for me, the reason why this is important to me as a Christian clergyman, is that this is the start of what I hope will become what I call noetic Christianity. The word noetic simply means high-minded. What is noetic Christianity? Well, let me put it this way. Karl Barth, who is probably the premier theologian, Christian theologian of our time, 
was once asked if he could sum up the conclusions about Christianity after being um, having written so many books that his own personal library would be overrun. And they asked him what he thought the conclusion of all it was. He said, well, Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells me so, replied Barth. <laughs> well, that's an answer that I don't have any quarrel with. But some of us prefer Handel's Messiah. It is that stretch for the highest expressions of human faith that wow. defines noetic Christianity. And that's what I'm hoping to be able to establish by getting into the the science and the physics that is behind what people usually think of a miraculous universe. I got a quote here from Nikola Tesla. The day science begins to study non-physical phenomenon, it will make more progress in one decade than all the previous centuries of its existence. I wholeheartedly believe that, and that's what it is that I'm trying to do nowadays. So what I wanted to do here is to share with you folks the conclusions of a lifetime. I've been working on this stuff for a long, long time, ever since I was a young boy. I can remember when I was seven, maybe, walking down a country road with a buddy of mine, and we were kicking rocks. And I i don't know what made me say it, but I said to him, I said, God's in that rock. And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, not only is God in that rock, but God's in you and God's in me and God is in mom and dad. God is in everything. And he said, you know, I see what you mean. And as seven-year-olds, we didn't have much trouble understanding that. And so we sort of joyfully went on kicking God down the road. <laughs> now, people frequently see that seminary, where you have to go to become a minister, mm-hmm. is an experience that gets you the training and the education you need. But that wasn't my case at all. Seminary did not answer even a small part of the questions that I had. And I've gone on studying and learning from that point forward. I was on a quest for ultimate truth. Seminary gave me particular truth. I've joked with folks that I came into church, to the church through the back door. Matter of fact, I even had a dream about it one time. There was a a cottage that was a historical place on the grounds of where I went to seminary. And it was the cottage of the original person that initiated the seminary. Mm -hmm. And I had a dream that I walked up to the front door. And instead of going in the front door or knocking on the front door, I looked in a window And I could see that the guy that had started the seminary was sitting in there, and he was asleep. So I walked around to the side, and his wife saw me through the kitchen window. And she said, you can come in this way, and she opened the window. (laughs) He came in through the kitchen window. I don't know. (laughs) And that was a dream that was so true about who I was at the time, because it wasn't until I became acquainted with subatomic physics 
and astrophysics that I was able to allow, what I mean by allow, notice how arrogant that is, that I was able to allow God into my universe. I'm more of a philosopher, a theologian, and a behavioral scientist than a physicist. I have no formal training as a physicist, but I was an interested amateur. So, like many people, it was in studying God's creation that God's face finally showed through to me in such a way that I could start looking at it. What is the nature of that which lies beyond the seeable reality? Now, that's the big question. And when you get to that, you started talking about metaphysics. Metaphysics is one of the ways of looking at what is behind or above or beyond um, what is the seeable reality. That metaphysics is all of those principles that transcend our ordinary perceptions. For instance, cosmology is a branch of astrophysics that studies the universe as a totality and all the phenomenon of space and time. Ontology is the philosophical study of the very nature of being, existence, or reality. So metaphysics is concerned with explaining the fundamental nature of being in the universe. Now, if we're looking at the fundamental nature of being in the universe, don't you think you're going to run into God somewhere in that field? The word metaphysics simply means beyond the physical. So in many ways, metaphysics transcends the physical sciences. Let me put it this way. When you talk about the physical, that's almost kind of like, it's almost like uh, an illusion. Because at the subatomic level, the physical and the non-physical are even interchangeable. So we Mm -hmm. can't really talk about a physical reality as opposed to a non-physical reality. I think most of us know that Einstein's famous theory, E equals mc squared, is energy times mass times the speed of light squared. What that formula represents is that energy and matter are interchangeable. Another way of looking at it is that matter is just thick energy. In other words, when you take a small part of matter and release the energy in it, there's an immense amount of energy compressed into a very small amount of matter. That way when we crack or fuse an atom, energy is given off, which is, of course, non-tangible. So we are converting the tangible into the non-tangible with nuclear fission or nuclear fusion. So energy and matter are variables of the same thing. Now think about that a, a second. We know that's true. We've had it proved to us over and over and over again. Now if energy and matter are variables, science will always tell you that if there's variables, there needs to be a constant underlying that variable. Well, that's what the search for the unified field theory is. You may have heard about that. Einstein started the search for the unified field theory, and it's still going on. They're trying to find out what is the constant that underlies both energy and matter. Now, 
many scientists are guessing at that. Now, why do I say they're guessing at it? Well, the reason they're guessing at it is because there isn't any way to prove it. Even if every, everything kind of implies that we know what it is that underlies both energy and matter, uh, that whatever it is that underlies it is absolute. It's infinite. And all of the tools of science are finite. Now, how can you measure an infinite reality with finite tools? So scientists are left there sort of slack, jawed with a stupid look on their face because there's absolutely no way they can validate what that constant is which underlines the underlies the valuable the, the variables now some scientists know what it is um i think i know what it is but the scientific world has the conventional scientific world has not yet accepted it um there's a a reverse of this process, if you want to, you can look at it. I was talking to Dee Dee about a Wilson cloud chamber. It's a simple enough device that you can make one yourself. Anybody actually wants to do it, send me an email. I'll show you how to make a Wilson cloud chamber. And in that cloud, you can see particles enter the atmosphere, and they leave a special contrail behind them. You can tell... What, whether that it's a particle entering the Wilson cloud chamber because of the kind of contrail that it leaves behind. Sometimes you can watch that particle turn into a wave. It moves from being matter to energy right there in the Wilson cloud chamber. And it's the other way around, too. The contrail can enter as energy as an energy wave, and depart as a, a particle. So energy and matter are interchangeable. So this whole idea of thinking about beyond the physical and, and all of that, it's an illusion. There isn't a physical universe and a non-physical universe. There's one universe, and it is made up of those two variables plus whatever the constant is that underlies those variables. Now, now that I hope I've kind of, oh, what, titillated everybody's uh, curiosity, let me ask this. Fred, do you want to know what that yeah. constant is that underlies the two variables? Absolutely. <laughs> well, I realize I sort of set you up for that. But... Hey, Sam, didn't you say last week that uh, uh, observationally, uh because of our observational intent, we can experience either wave forms or particle forms or both? Yes, that was, okay. that's exactly what I'm talking about. Okay. And, since, and since those two things are just manifestations of something else, the important question for scientists and philosophers and theologians is what is that Thing that underlies these two variables of mass and energy. Well, what a lot of scientists are saying and what I'm saying to you is it's consciousness. That's basically what our scientists at the quotation at the beginning of this. He was saying that the universe 
is more a big thought rather than a big thing. And it is the mind of God, if you will, that is that absolute consciousness which underlies everything. So consciousness is the the constant which underlies the variables of energy and matter. In other words, energy and matter is made out of consciousness, and consciousness is the ground of all being. It is consciousness that is at the root of all existence. Okay, okay, now, go ahead, Fred. Uh, as, Sam, because what, what you're laying out here for this, this discussion is uh, a template uh, that presumes and, and actually observationally and scientifically proves that each one of us has a relationship with metaphysical, physical, and spiritual reality. It's almost like a conversation. It's a, it's a relationship with our surroundings, with our uh, who we see, how we interact, the experiences we have. It's a, it's a communication from and between uh, the creator and the created. And we are, we are all creators <laughs> in yes. addition to the master, master himself who created us. He, he's in a co-creative uh, relationship with us. That's exactly right. And there's a lot okay. more to it, and that's where the theology kicks in. But okay. I'm going to stick with um, the physics for a couple of more minutes uh, before we get to the theology of it. But the, the important thing to remember is that, um, Fred, even you, I'm picking on you now, yeah. even right. you have a little consciousness generator up there between your ears. Yeah. Now, just like mine, it's pretty puny. But the, for, the plain fact of the matter is, is that we human beings generate consciousness. Not only do we live in a sea of consciousness, but we generate consciousness. Or as the scriptures say, um, that mind of God is that spirit in which we live and move and derive our very being. We are made out of of concentrated consciousness. Oh, the whole universe is made out of concentrated consciousness. Another thing that's really amazing about this, Fred, is that it's a two-way street. God talks to us and we talk to God. And we'll talk a little bit about how that works later, too. So when we start studying the outer reaches of scientific knowledge, the outer reaches of astrophysics or subatomic physics, the conclusion that we get to is that we live in a far more flexible universe than we think. One of the ways I like to say it is that reality is really there, but then again it's just barely there because it can shift from one expression of reality to another expression of reality without uh, any stimulus on our part. Believe it or not, it can shift depending on whether or not it is being observed. Now, this is truly amazing, Fred. This is what we talk about when we talk about that there's a couple of experiments. One is the double uh, slit experiment where 
things are a particle or a wave, depending on whether or not it's being observed. But there was a, a fellow named Schrodinger. Have you ever heard of Schrodinger's cat? No. <laughs> well, it was kind of a almost a joke that this physicist came up with. He said, what you do is you put a cat in a box with a vial of poison. And so long as the cat sits in the box and you're not looking at it, you can't tell if that cat is alive or dead. In other words, there's a potentiality there. And the potentiality does not become real until you look at it. There's even a, a little poem about um, Schrodinger's cat that I'll let you know about. Said Schrodinger's cat with a smile, I'll be in the box with a vial. With a poison I'll be quantum tangled, you see, thus alive and dead both all the while. Now, <laughs> now, oh, there's I got some more poems before we're done with this too. But basically what this boils down to is that all of reality is held in a potentiality suspension. It's what they call a probability or possibility wave. And that probability wave does not collapse in the way that a wave hits a beach. It does not collapse, and you do not know what the reality is until you observe that probability wave. It is your observation of that probability wave that makes it collapse and reveals or manifests the reality that was nothing but a potentiality until you looked at it. Now, that's just astounding, and I want you to know this is not new science. Schrodinger was in 1935. The application of these things is, is what is truly amazing what's going on in our time. People other than physicists who are talking about it strictly as physics are now looking at this and they're saying, well, if that's true, if the physicists are right, what that means is that my perception of my reality actually changes it. That's what our scientists were saying back at the beginning of the program that we are co-creators with God. You know, our individual human consciousness, you know, we all these all have these little consciousness generators in our brain. We have the inability to interact with absolute consciousness. Consciousness is that which underlies all existence. So consciousness is the constant that underlies the two variables of energy and matter. We have the ability as sentient beings, that sentient means self-aware, to interact with the sea of consciousness in which we live, and that consciousness is the ground of all being, and we can influence it. It's amazing. Think about it for a second. Most of us don't doubt the efficacy of prayer. What is prayer but a belief that your consciousness and your conversation with God has 
the power to change reality. Else, why would we pray if yeah. we did not believe that our own consciousness has the ability to affect reality? So there's an assumption there on the part of almost all of humanity about this fundamental um, physics truth, and we don't think about it that way. What do you think about that, Fred? You know, Sam, you know, I've shared on this call, not not in great detail, but it's a little hobby of mine, but I've, I've uh, uh, observing letters, dates, times, numbers in my life is, is uh, it may sound a little wacky, a little strange, but uh, when you envision a number, um, it, it's sort of like uh, listening to uh, a melody of a song and you, and you get that melody in your head, the same thing with the number. And, uh, and it's amazing, uh, as, as I go through my day, uh, the number that I had in my mind will all of a sudden start appearing, uh, not just in, in one isolated case, but uh, in several examples, right down to the simple fifth-grade math of, of assembling those numbers and writing them down on a piece of paper, you know, through observational example. And uh, it's it's quite something. I think it applies to everyone. It, it goes back to what you're saying here. We are co-creators of, of reality. And um, I, I ascribe it to uh, a communication with the creator. Uh, I call it a God wink. Uh, but it, it's fun. It's musical. It's um, it's it's not that that mysterious. Uh, people think uh, if if they haven't gone down these these paths uh, with either prayer or intent or the law of attraction, uh, it, you know, it can be very foreign to a lot of people. But what you're saying is that this is this should be the ground the 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 elemental. Uh, foundation upon which all reality rests. That's right. It's first truth. By the yeah. way, have I got a thing for you. I didn't think about mentioning this earlier. But there's a website that I created that's called SolomonAnswers.com. Solomon Answers. <laughs> oh, cool. And what I did on that is I was coaching people on how to turn on the creative aspects of their brain so oh, that good. so that answers to questions that you may have been looking at that have to do with work or with relationships or anything else suddenly become apparent because you were able to turn on the creative aspect of how your brain works and that and the the website shows you how to set up a situation where instead of thinking the way we usually think, you're able to bypass that and do what's called non-linear thinking. Linear thinking is straight-line thinking, and it's wonderful, and it's where all science came from and all of that sort of thing. But it's not creative. It only deals with things the way they really are, not the way things could be. So nonlinear thinking is the creative kind of thinking, and the instructions on that website will show you how to do it. 
which kind of is a good segue into the next point I want to make because um, this whole thing about the fundamental truth that the ground of all being is consciousness. Now, theologians will talk about that. Philosophers will talk about it. And even some scientists are beginning to talk about it. Mm-hmm. The main reason that they're able to, not able to quantify or put it into a formula is that, of course, their tools are all finite. So science is always going to be a day late and a dollar short when it comes to understanding the fundamental nature of reality. They're not able to measure it, and that's what bothers them. If it isn't measurable, then it must not exist. Now, there's another caution that I want to put in here. There are some people who overdo mankind's ability to influence reality through the manipulation of collective consciousness. There are those who say the world really was flat until people started thinking about it as round. In other words, they're way over on the other side of the influence of human consciousness. Uh These are tiny little influences that human consciousness uh, provides to all of us. All of us put together can only slightly influence the outcome of events or reality as we perceive it. If matter is extremely concentrated, thick energy, and energy is, and matter are concentrated or thick consciousness, to a degree that is unknowable. Our puny personal consciousness generators, our brains, are less than a drop in the ocean. Our collective human consciousness, by the way, if you have not read Pierre Teilhard de Chardin, um, A Phenomenon of Man is the book he wrote, it's what he calls that that uh, field of consciousness the noosphere. And the noosphere is the collective consciousness of us all. And he saw it as almost like an atmosphere that is around the planet Earth. Now, don't get me wrong. We do make a difference. I think that God actually fun- functions mostly in the area of barely perceptible phenomenon stuff that isn't great big pyrotechnic fireworks, but small examples of faith that seem almost ordinary. That's where I think that God's influence is the most common. And so God's going to do it his way anyway. So if you're thinking, if the thing you're trying to put forward with your own consciousness is not part of God's plan. It isn't going anywhere. Mm -hmm. God's still in charge of the universe. So that brings me to the whole idea of subatomics, physics, and what that that has to do with our, our understanding of the nature of God. Essentially, what Heisenberg's principle of uncertainty says is, Things can change location or can change their nature depending on whether or not they're being observed. What the whole thing boils down to is that all reality is suspended in many potentialities, unlimited possibilities. All those unlimited possibilities are all inherent in every moment. When you start observing that moment, you influence those many infinite possibilities. 
and that so-called probability wave that I talk about um, collapses. This is the phrase the physicists use, that the probability wave collapses. And reality manifests. Of all the infinite possibilities built into the moment, there are all kinds of ways the moment could turn out. But your feeding into that probability is the thing that makes it turn out the way it finally manifests in perceivable reality. In other words, the universe is visibly living up to our expectations every moment that we exist, particularly if our consciousness is conformed to the nature of God. We have an influence on the probability wave collapsing and for reality to manifest the way it does. And what does that have to do with the nature of God? Well, what it has to do with is that essentially we are co-creators with God. We are helping make manifest that which God would like to see happen. We, we have a place in making God's will show up on earth as it is in heaven. Mm-hmm. And it, it, we have an obligation uh, to do that. And uh, there's an old joke about about this among quantum physicists. It says, um, you might be a subatomic physicist if you're afraid to look at your life for fear the probability wave might collapse and you're really somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a joke to illustrate the idea that if you involve yourself in it, you are changing the outcome of it. There's no such thing as a pure experiment because the experimenter always affects that which is being experimented. Yeah. Now, there's this whole thing about can things pop in and out of existence? Um, uh, they, that there was originally that idea was put forward originally with the old thing about um, uh, if a tree falls in the forest and there's nobody there to hear it, mm-hmm. is there a sound? Well, that it, because the reason that they're saying this is that if all of reality is dependent on being observed, what if there's nobody there to observe it? Another Schrodinger cat thing I've got is Schrodinger's cat walks into a bar. The bartender isn't there, so the cat the cat disappears. Uh, <laughs> Now, thank you. Thank you for that kind laugh for what's really a bad joke, but thank you anyway. Um, So to be is to be perceived. And if Mm -hmm. a tree falls in the forest and there's the one to hear it, is there a sound? Now, we forget that we're not the only influence on this. Mm -hmm. Um, The idea... um, on quantum physics, there's a wonderful, this is another little, this is a limerick. I stole this from um, Bertrand Russell's History of Western Philosophy. And the name of it, of the little limerick, is God in the Quad, and it's written by a guy named Ronald Knox. There was a young man who said, God must think it exceedingly odd if he finds that this tree continues to be when there's no one about in the quad. And the reply is, dear sir, your astonishment's odd. 
I'm always about in the quad, and that's why the tree will continue to be since observed by yours faithfully, God. So <laughs> the universe does not flip in and out of existence because there is a constant, ubiquitous, universal, absolutely omnipotent observer that keeps it that way. Now, do you have the ability to influence that? Yes, indeed you do. But don't you ever get the idea that the universe is dependent on your perception of it in order for it to be there. Mm -hmm. uh, Richard Feynman, who's one of my personal heroes, a physicist uh, that uh, died in 1988, uh, posits a universe where matter can pop in and out of existence, even the vacuum of outer space. And that may well be true. But even if it is true that matter is popping in out of existence wherever it should choose to happen, that does not happen outside the awareness and the influence of God. Now, when you realize that scientists think like that, is it really that much of a stretch to think that your own individual consciousness is influencing events and that you can attract circumstances into your life? Um, does your individual consciousness act like a reality magnet which draws the circumstances and situations in your life because of the nature of your consciousness? Is that which we have in our minds attracting to our lives the reality that eventually manifests itself? Is it that hard to think that way when you know how flexible, how indeterminate reality really is at the subatomic level and how reality is affected by human consciousness and human interaction with that reality? Now let me tell you what it is I think is going on here. If we, over a lifetime, live a faithful life, if we have certain styles of consciousness. Now, we talked about this in the earlier program, that styles of consciousness affect our, our moods and our thinking. And not only that, it affects our health. Well, likewise, if we have certain styles of thinking, faith-based styles of thinking, over a long period of time, those styles of thinking actually affect the quality of reality that eventually our thinking affects the reality that we experience. And I'm going to give you an example of that from one of my, again, one of my personal heroes. As a young man, this fellow was kidnapped by Indians. A lot of people don't realize this, but there were Indians making raids on white settlements even into the 1900s. And this was one of those incidents. And the Indians took this young man, who at the time was about 10, and had him on the back of the horses as they were galloping away to get away from the white settlement. And he fell off. And he broke his leg. And the Indians were not about to come back and try and catch him. They were probably going to hold him for ransom or something like that. But they were being chased by the settlers. The young man, of course, was scared to death. And he heard horses coming, so he hid. Now, the horses happened to be the settlers, but he didn't know that. And he stayed hidden. 
and mm. for several days. And eventually some horses came by again and he heard people talking. And he knew that it was the settlers and they were looking for him. <laughs> so he crawled out from where he was hiding. They took him to the doctor. It was too late. Uh, the bone had not set properly and it was too late for him to have an ordinary leg. So oh he grew gosh. up with one leg three inches shorter than the other one. Mm. He ended up getting exposed to what was called the New Thought Movement back in the 1920s. That gave birth to the, um, oh, what do they call it, the Christian scientists and other people like that that were under that thought that they could influence and cure disease, etc., with their mm-hmm. minds. And he started his own um, newspaper and newsletter and that sort of thing, putting forward these ideas, and he got pretty bold about it. He said, I can make my leg just like the other one. And then he had another thought. Wait a minute, why stop there? Death cannot conquer me. If I continue to be faithful in my consciousness, if I continue to love Jesus with all my heart and soul, there's no reason for me to even die. Well, he did die. But when he died, at age 103, his right leg was almost as long as his left leg. Wow. Now, but what did he have to do to get that result? He had to deliberately practice a higher state of consciousness, a faith-based state of consciousness for his entire life. Now, I'm saying to everybody that's listening that if you start now establishing that faith-based style of consciousness, as the decades roll by, you will find more and more that God is blessing you, that the reality that comes to your being will indeed be made sacred because of your own thinking so long as you don't get into thinking that you can make it happen in 15 minutes. It's a long process. It's a dedication. It's a devotion, a devotion to things sacred. And in so doing, the universe that you experience will become more sacred as it relates to you over a lifetime. Now, there's also... Let's see how much time I got left. Do you, what what do you say on time? Am I got an hour or an hour and a half? You have as much time as you need, up to two hours, Sam. All right. Now, I want to talk about why this is a two-way street. Most of us can grab a hold of this idea that we can influence reality, but what about God influencing our consciousness? Most people will say that the Holy Spirit can influence our own thinking. What do we mean by that? 
absolute being consciousness influences individual human consciousness. And I think I understand how that works, too. Funny and I deal with brain science a lot. It's important for a good therapist to understand brain science, at least the beginning of it, to know what brain function is, and for that matter, diagnosing a patient who might be having a problem, deciding how how we're going to find a solution to that problem. If we know brain science, we might find out that the symptoms that have been manifesting from that client might have something to do with brain function. For instance, thoughts cause emotions. Every thought we think releases emotional chemicals into our our entire system. Uh, so the patterns of thinking will cause emotional pain. We covered all of that in the first program. And so our thinking can make us sick or it can make us well. But this whole thing about what happens, what is this thing about God being able to talk to us. The God exporting godly ideas into our minds. Well, let's, in order to be able to kind of understand how that happens, what you have to do, the first thing you need to talk about is that so-called synaptic gap. You've all heard about that, right? They even have it on TV. All of the advertisements for depression medications so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. show how, how a synaptic gap is bridged because of the drugs you're taking. Well, that word gap is really a pretty inaccurate word because if you think of a gap, you think of the Cumberland Gap or other kinds of gaps, the spark plug gap, you can think of it that way. Well... There are tools that mechanics have for their spark club gap, but look, guys, I want you to understand this. This so-called gap is indistinguishable by the the naked eye. It's only barely distinguishable under an electron microscope. The distance of a so-called synaptic gap is 250 angstroms and smaller. What's an angstrom? Well, as you know, Fahrenheit was a scientist, and when you come up with something good, you get to put your name on it. You get to name yourself after it. Angstrom was a Swedish physicist, Anders Jonas Angstrom, and he intentionally, he he created an international measure of length. Now, I know this won't make any sense at all, but it's 0.1 nanometers or 1 times 10 to the minus 10th meters. The angstrom is often used in the natural sciences for expressing the size of atoms, or the lengths of chemical bonds, or the wavelengths of uh, electromagnetic radiation. So an angstrom is a unit of measure that's very small measurement of distance. The place where quantum effect would begin to happen is down at that smallest level. Most physicists will tell you that there's one set of rules about how the universe works with things bigger than an atom and another whole set of principles for how things work with uh, anything smaller than an atom. And when you get down to 250 angstroms, some of these really strange things will happen in the quantum or subatomic level and they begin to manifest themselves 
at about 250 angstroms. By comparison, if anybody can think this, if you've got any scientists out there in your in your listening audience, um, that's about uh, a comparison. Visible light has a wavelength of around 4,000 angstroms. So keep in mind we're talking about something that is significantly smaller than the wavelength of visible light. So what I'm saying that every one of your brain cells is separated from every other brain cell by a gap that is less than 250 angstroms. What that means is that, from my point of view anyway, and again, this is one of those things I know from Revelation, the Holy Spirit is an aspect of absolute being consciousness, and it has the possibility, has the potential, has the ability to influence the human mind, and check this out, by hooking up neuron pathways that otherwise would not be hooked up. The Holy Spirit has the power to quicken the minds of men. And if a person were left with nothing but the faculties of his own biological brain um, with which to hook up those neuron pathways, it wouldn't happen. That is how God talks to us. That is how peak experiences happen. Now, basically what happens with peak experiences is that a whole bunch of neuron pathways get hooked up because of the Holy Spirit, quickening the human mind, and we have experiences, insights, and awarenesses that would simply not be available to us with the normal biological mind. Kind of like that thing you were talking about with numbers, Fred. Mm -hmm. That's the next thing I want to make clear. The ability of the Holy Spirit to quicken the minds of humans by influencing activity at the synaptic gap. So we have God speaking to us. We have us influencing reality, the underpinnings of which is God. And we've got the interface going on between human beings and that ultimate reality. The spirit of which we live and move and drive our very being is not some static reality to which we are subject. It is a dynamic reality with which we interact and which we influence. We are co-creators with God to a greater extent than most of us know. Now, i got two ways I can go here, Fred. And I decided I'm going to try and take what is um, meant to be profound humor. And I'm going to, that's the next thing I'm going to take. And if I have any time after that, I might do something else. I want to talk to you about my outhouse theology. Go, I, don't go, know go. If, <laughs> I don't know. If, I don't know if you ever knew this or not, but I'm from Iowa. I'm Iowa farm boys, so I'm all familiar mm-hmm. with outhouses. Okay. And here's what I want to talk about. This thing called religion. Here's my theory. I want to warn you that I'm an Iowa farm boy. My nickname on all of the forums that I visit on the Internet is Aristotle the Hun. Aristotle (laughs) was a name given to me by a... Aristotle the Hun was a name given to me by a friend of mine more than 30 years ago who realized that for all my intellect, I was still an Iowa farm boy. (laughs) <laughs> he saw that dichotomy of my being, slightly crude, probably too straightforward, not all that concerned with diplomacy, and yet backed up by this monster brain. So he called me Aristotle the Hun. 
the minute he gave me that title, I knew it fit, and I've accepted it and used it for a lot of purposes since then. I'm telling you this to brace yourself for what's coming next. Okay. Here is the basis of my outhouse theology. An outhouse might be a necessary structure, particularly where I come from in northern Iowa. We did not have indoor plumbing. We we were one of the better families in town because we had a three-holer. Got an idea what that means? A three-holer. A three-holer. Our outhouse was a three-holer. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. It's it, well. <laughs> All right. Oh gosh. The other, because we also had a big family, so a three-holer was kind of a necessity. And the three-holer outhouse was the premise of my outhouse theology. So let's start here. The jewel of great price. That thing that we've been talking about is the source of all religion. It's a direct connection to the divine that happens in all human beings. I call it that not only because it's valuable, and you can't really say how much it's worth, but it's also multifaceted. Now, when I say multifaceted, um, you know those uh, balls that are on the ceiling of discos and dance halls that have all of the mirrors on them? Yeah, yep. Well, that's kind of what I mean by multifaceted. If you look at that thing and it's not turning, the light from a single mirror can get into your eyes and you can't even see the rest of the ball. You're blinded mm-hmm. by the light. Even though there are other things equally true that other people are looking at, you're only able to see the facet that you have perceived. Mm-hmm. It's like the old story about the blind men and the elephant. You know, basically four blind men come across an elephant, and the first man touches the side of the elephant. He says, it's a wall. Another man gets hold of the legs and says, no, it's a tree. A third gets a hold of the tail and says, what's the matter with you guys? It's a rope. And the last one grabs the trunk and says, watch out, it's a big snake. Now, all of those men were experiencing exactly the same thing, but because of the perception they had, they thought it was four different things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They were also experiencing the, the same thing that we experience with our senses, when telling about different things of what facet of the elephant we are experiencing. Um, that is, let me give you, let me say it this way. There are so many facets and the light is so brilliant that when the flash strikes one facet of the jewel of great price, the intensity of that reflection can blind you to the awareness that there are any other facet. So we Jews, Christians, Hindus, Buddhists, and Muslims, we're all looking at the truth ball, this jewel of great price. And we think that the facet we see is the only possible way to look at it. Because that single facet is so magnificent, we exclude anyone else's perception of the same thing, much as the blind man thought, Everybody else was wrong about the nature of the elephant they were touching. But if that were not bad enough, we're blinded by the magnificence 
of the one aspect of the jewel that we're observing. So here it is. What happens when we have one of these facets? So we run across one of these facets and we say, I'm going to write a story about this. That becomes scripture. I'm going to build a shrine. That eventually becomes a temple or a church. And so we have the scriptures and we have the buildings. Now the relative value of the building where the jewel of great price is housed is like the value of an outhouse to the jewel of great price. In other words, it really isn't worth very much. Now next come the priests, the theologians and the philosophers. And they sit in the three-holer, depositing their load in the outhouse, soiling the pages of the scriptures while cleaning themselves, and then throwing them down onto the jewel of great price, and the soiled scriptures that have been stripped away from their source to the point where any serious thinker at searching for the jewel of great price must go to a very unlikely location and dig through centuries of accumulation of human waste in order to actually locate the sacred treasure. Mm. Now, if you have, however, if you think the outhouse serves no purpose, look what it does. It's a landmark. Under Underneath every one of those outhouses, there's buried a jewel of great price. But what you have to do is you have to care enough about looking for the jewel of great price to dig through all of the stuff that religion has piled on top of the absolute truth. You have to endure some very uncomfortable experiences digging through the rubbish to get to the jewel of great price. But don't put the church down. Granted, it's not worth anywhere near what it covers up and hides from humanity, mm-hmm. but it does mark the location about where the jewel of great price is buried. So don't look to the church to sustain you. Don't look yeah. to the church and expect to see one of those facets that blind you. The church is a human institution which, obser- which obscures the jewel of great price, which also marks its location. So what we are faced with is that all of the world's religions, in essence, obscure what it is they're all about. In other words, the religion itself and everything that's about the religion actually obscures from awareness what it is that is the foundation of that religion in the first place. The very thing you want to pay attention to is obscured by the traditions and even the building where the church exists. This is an interesting story. I was once at a garage sale with my darling wife. That's how much I love her and what a dedicated husband I am. I'm, I'm even willing to go to garage sales. The lady holding the garage sale had her dog there. She had put the dog, the loop on the dog's leash, underneath the leg of a card table. The dog, of course, kept being interested in the people and was constantly tugging on the leash and in essence, tugging the table. As the table would move along the driveway, things would fall off the table. The woman would, thinking she could point, and she would say, go back over there. She'd point it and point where the dog was supposed to go. Now, did the dog ever once look where she was pointing? No. The dog looked at her pointed finger, confused and wondering 
Why is my master? Want, what is my master wanting me to do? Yeah. There is this hand pointing, but the poor dog doesn't know where to look or what it is that the hand is pointing toward. And there's no biscuit, right? Or, right. Or, or, we human oh. beings are very much the same way with our churches. Why do you think churches have a steeple, Fred? It's because they're supposed to point away from themselves. Uh-huh. Now that, but yet dog-like, we look at the building and not what it is pointed toward. The church is not pointing away from itself. Any church that is not pointing away from itself, any religious institution that is not pointing to the jewel of great price, is opposed to their own clergy, their own scriptures, and their own traditions. And they're doing a disservice to the cause they claim to serve. Just like that dog who can't see where the hand is pointing, essentially, all good religion points away from itself to the sacred core essence, which is the many-faceted jewel of great price. So that's the theology from a Iowa farm boy that grew up um, using an outhouse. <laughs> but that whole story, people are either amazed by it and they say, well, it explains everything, or they're offended by it because of the way that I told the story from the point of view of a of an Iowa farm boy. If anybody would like to talk to me about that and either compliment me or correct me from their own point of view, I welcome their um, their input into my story about an outhouse theology. Okay. <laughs> it's pretty great. <laughs> All right. Let's see here. It's 1014. I'll tell you what. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take on um, a brief explanation of what peak experiences are. Okay. When human beings in every culture have a common behavior, that behavior considered part of basic human nature rather than a product of cultural conditioning. For instance, marriage occurs in all cultures. Thus, marriage is part of human nature, and it has what anthropologists call cross-cultural verification. What I attempted to do is introduce a special kind of universal human experience that remains a mystery for most people. It's important to note that this mysterious phenomenon has cross-cultural verification. It occurs in every culture that ever existed on the face of the planet. This, or I call it ordinary and marvelous. This ordinary and marvelous event is something that comes from our fundamental human nature. Our challenge is to define that mystery that occurs in every century and every culture and to understand its effects, okay? Now, here's some um, quotations from people that we have uh, done research on. And we've asked them, when they had a peak experience, if they'd give write a sentence about what it was. And I'm just going to go through these sentences. I suddenly became vividly aware that every blade of grass had its own life. 
Now imagine having that kind of an experience. Another person said time seemed to stand still. Another person said I lost awareness of my separate existence. I realized I was part of everything. And another person said everything, the flowers, the birds, the trees, seemed alive with a buzzing or glowing energy. It was like somebody had sprinkled pixie dust everywhere. Or, it was so beautiful, it was still an ordinary world, but now I really I realized its perfection. Tears began to run down my cheeks. I wasn't sad. I've never been so happy in my life. True rapture. It was as if an absolutely perfect reality had been there all along, and suddenly I could see it. Another person said, somebody turned reality up a notch. Everything was brighter. <laughs> Somehow, it was more real. Another person said, every detail was perfect, nor could it possibly have been any other way. Or, even while I watched it happen, I knew as though I had known all along there was a feeling that, of course, this is how things really are. Now, I'm hoping that those who are listening, when they hear those sentences, are reminded of their own experiences that they've had that were truly special, spiritual experiences, experiences where everything was different. And if you'll notice, they're not, spectacular pyrotechnics. It's being aware of the reality of blades of grass. That's ordinary. That's mm -hmm. the reason why I named this little essay Ordinary and Marvelous. Now, the psychological experience or explanation of these peak experiences revealed some astounding facts and spawned some fascinating speculations. This is from the work of Abraham Maslow. Below are the types of peak experiences. First of all, there are insight experiences. Newton, when the apple hit him on the head. Einstein, when the general and special theories of relativity were revealed to him. Bohr's discovery of quantum theory the gift of the perfect solution to a complicated problem without any conscious problem solving on your part. Knowledge through revelation is a common peak experience for many people. Now there's also spiritual rapture. St. Paul on the road to Damascus. Buddha under the bow tree. Jesus in the desert. The yeah. rapture of the prophets feeling God's presence around a campfire. Religious literature bounds with these examples. For a good example of or discussion on the subject, see William James, The Varieties of Religious Experience. Then there's creative experience. An entire symphony with full instrumentation playing in the mind of a great composer for the first time. Now, you know that Beethoven was deaf, one of the greatest composers of all time, was deaf. 
he heard these symphonies not with his ears, but with his mind. The rush of an idea pressing our mind. Um, uh, there are novelists who can't type fast enough to keep up with the flow of ideas and words. The states of consciousness associated with peak experiences are very resonant in the poet, the artist, the composer, the musician, the writer, the actor, the orator, the dancer, the theoretical physicist, the subatomic physicist, and the astrophysicist. Now, there's another one. This is the one most people can relate to. Nature experiences. Stars that take your breath away one special night, even though the same stars are there every night. Things seem more real, more alive, brighter, perfect, beautiful. A fraternal connection with an animal. Uh, Martin Buber, a theologian, talked about he had an experience of oneness with a horse. Nature is the setting for the most common kind of peak experiences. Another kind of peak experience is impossible events. How many here know about football's immaculate reception? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, the name phrase rings a bell. Lynn, Lynn to... Swan. Lynn Swan, okay. Yep. Lynn Swan in the end zone. Yep. Got it. Where the defenders were there. And like with a graceful ballet dancer, he left, leapt into the air in the end zone, snagged the ball out of the hands of two defenders that were in the end zone, and, land, and landed as a touchdown. It was so stunning what he did that not only was there an uncharacteristic silence for a second or so, and then the, these fans from both teams started cheering wildly. Because it was such an amazing thing to see. So those are the things. The, the hole-in-one that you knew was a hole-in-one before you hit the ball. The sense of the perfect action when you know it will turn out perfectly. Feeling in sync with things and action. Sports, ballet, martial arts, and many other things that happen in perfect synchronicity. I've done that playing billiards sometimes, where I knew the shot was good. I knew it ahead of time, and it was perfectly executed. And I was in a special state of consciousness when it happened. Now, the other thing about this that almost everybody will tell you about is trauma experiences, near-death experiences, like men in combat, people near death from sickness, people who... Belong to the Zipper Club. Do you know what the Zipper Club means, Fred? No. That's the open heart surgery people. They'll oh open up God. their shirt. They'll show you. It looks like there's a big zipper running down the front oh, of them. Oh man! Yeah, I've seen that. And near fatal accidents are commonly reported yeah. as changing people's lives forever. Also included are trance states induced by tribal dancing, prolonged fasting and other deprivation. Groups who experience trauma, like people caught in an earthquake together or a tornado or whatever, they're often bonded by that shared peak experience uh, for many years, and they feel like something happened to them that brought them together. It's one of the things that causes 
men who had not seen the fellow they were in the service with for 40 years. And when they see him at a reunion, they fall into each other's arms weeping. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Because it's stuck. They went through trauma together, and they were bonded together because of that trauma. And there's many other kinds of peak experiences, too. Those are just a few examples of what peak experiences are. Now, I'm going to give you a website that you can go to where you can learn more about this. Okay. It's mysteries-explained.blogspot.com. And if you would rather just go um, to Google, Explanations for Mysteries of the Universe in my name, Sam Sewell. I have it subtitled as Astrophysics, Subatomic Physics, Religion, Philosophy, Psychology, History, all in 20 typewritten pages. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's uh, there's a whole bunch of other stuff that I could give you guys, too. But let me put it this way. I'll do it as a, a promise to your audience, Fred. You have my permission to let them know what my personal contact information is, at least my e- email information. Okay. Anybody wants anybody wants to talk to me or they want to know where other websites are that I've published, if you, they want to look about my blogs, if they want to see articles that I've written over the years. Of course, another way to do that is just type in um, my name uh, in Google. Sometimes I'm amazed how often I show up. Even some of my no, there are, there are a lot there are a lot of links out there. Plus, we've included the links in the newsletter last week and this week, everyone. So please go there as well. Uh, Sam, do you have your email address embedded in those links that you provided? Gosh, I don't know. Okay, uh, but I can tell you real quick. I'll, let me go to one of them because I know that um, I know I did beyond the physical. Uh, and no, I do not have an email link in Beyond the Physical. Uh, so you'll have to, you, if anybody asks, uh, please feel free mm-hmm. to give them my e- email link, and I'll be happy to answer any questions they have or refer them to other material that they might be interested in. I, I just swiped with my thumb your the website, so I don't have it um, at my fingertips anymore on my phone. Uh, Dee Dee, can you read back the um, the link on 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 the newsletter for Sam? Oh, I have to go to the, to it. Um, are you okay with just giving it to us? It's a or yes, you've got. I know Fred has my email address. Yeah, pass it out to oh. anybody you want to pass it out. Okay. To. Okay, yeah, I'd love to have it. Okay. Well, that's now, everybody except everybody except Dee Dee because she already knows all this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nothing like me to know it all. I got Swiss cheese for a filter. <laughs> anyway, now, as you might suspect, we could talk. Um, we, you know, if if we just had a couple of beers, we could talk for the next three, four hours about this. Uh, no. Oh, yeah, yeah. So what do you want me to look at on the newsletter, uh, Fred? Uh, well, I'm I just going to re- repeat it out to everyone. Uh, uh, Sam's email uh, is available, and I'd be more than happy to share it with uh, anyone on this call. If you okay. listen to the archive, 
my, my email is fksmart at gmail.com, and I'd be more than happy to pass along Sam's uh, phone number, his information, his email address to get in touch with him directly uh, from this show. So uh, plus uh, on our newsletter uh, and on the website, there is a uh, link that you can go to to insert a request to ask a question to any one of us moderators, so we'd be more than happy to respond there as well. All right, folks. I got a nine o'clock client in the morning. I know All right. what you said. <laughs> Sam Sewell, thank you so much. Uh, we are all in this together, and you have put a stamp on this call, this archive, because that's the name of our show, the Collective Consciousness Show, and uh, we're we're uh, coming full circle, so to speak, in this discussion. We need to have more of these discussions, Sam. Thank you so much for blessing when, us. When you say your, we're all in this together, yeah. let me leave you with this little piece of humor. Okay. <laughs> There's a cartoon I have, and it shows um, a leak in the back of a boat, and the water's just jumping up like crazy. And mm-hmm. because of that, the front of the boat is lifted up. And the guy in the front of the boat says to the other guy, I'm sure glad the leak's in your end of the boat. <laughs> <laughs> yep, we're all in this together. You're darn right, we're all in this together. Thank all right, you. thank you, folks. Yeah. Thank you, Sam. Uh, Good give night. My best, best to Bunny, and uh, have a great week, everyone. We'll stay. All back. right, we'll God do. Bless. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Fred. Thanks, everyone. All right. Thank you, Steve. Anybody okay. out there on the call? Thank you. It's a wrap for the call tonight, and we'll see you next week, next Thursday night. See you by next week. Thanks. Thanks, everyone. Okay. God bless. Take care. A-U-N, American Underground Network.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.